Welcome to the Good Doctrine Podcast, where we believe that good doctrine establishes good living. I'm Sean Pasley. And I'm Josh Howard. It's the 30th episode. We came up on it. We're on it. It's the, 30th, it's the 30th episode. You need to stop. Once again, I'm told for the first five minutes of this episode what I can't say by Sean. Yeah. I'm shackled. I'm restrained. I am trying to think of any other Bible terms here. Fettered. Fettered, yeah. yeah. I mean, shackled. And you're restrained. ungrateful notwithstanding. Um, but yeah, so we just got through with the Scripture Matters Conference. Yes, we did. And it was really good. It was good. Um, we, I, I think uh, all of us made new friends, which was exciting. You know, new friends of, and, and you know, met again with old friends and um, seminary professors and other pastors. Uh, one thing that was really exciting to me about the conference was that over half of the people that were here were um, visitors. Oh yeah, and that's really exciting that there were people who were you know from other parts of the country, and um, you know there were a lot of people that were visiting family and stuff like that, and they you know some of our church members brought uh, family members in and 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 guests, and that was exciting. Um, I'm really I'm really glad that we got to do it. If you haven't seen it, you can look at Calvary Baptist Church's uh, Facebook page, and mm-hmm. we we live streamed the whole thing. The audio is a little bit quiet, but it's all there. That's, so that's the only the only complaint I've heard. From the people that watched it, that was the complaint that, like, I had to turn my audio all the way up, which, again, it's just one of those buggy things that we're still working out. It's just weird. So we apologize for that. But then the other complaint I heard was from the panel participants that, like, wanted to bring several pillows to sit on next time (laughs) because it was a long time. And it was four hours. It was four hours. It was was a long time. So the idea behind it was we did two hours one night, two hours the next night last time. Yeah. That was way too short was, you know, everyone's opinion. This time we did four hours, and it felt like, at least to the panel participants, like it's just a long time to sit and talk. So, I don't know. We're, we're thinking about doing another one in November. I think it's just kind of what we Probably do three hours. Three hours sounds like a good... And maybe no intermission. I don't know. I like the intermission. Okay. But People I forgot pretzels and trail mix and stuff. Well, I, I just drink coffee obsessively. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, the idea behind the conference, if you do check it out on Facebook, first two hours is pretty much... Um, it's you asking topical. questions. Yeah. yeah, me walking the panel through some topical questions specifically relating to the church at this conference. And then the second two hours is audience Q&A, which to me, that always seems to be the one that flies by because there's so many good questions. There's so many things we could talk about at length, and you're trying to get through these things very quickly. But um, my goodness, we had some really good uh, good men that joined us on that, that stage. This Everyone's time. favorite answer they they all told me afterwards. Everyone's favorite answer um, to one of the questions, and I won't spoil the questions, but the the answer was no, just yeah. no, yeah, <laughs> just no. I heard um, that. I heard that from several people. Yeah, too, that was yeah. everyone's favorite. <laughs> no. So uh, anyway, there's a couple of the 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 men who are on the panel that have been, you know, Greg, um, the senior pastor here at Calvary has been on the podcast. Dr. Mahoney has been on the podcast. And there's a couple more who are on the panel that we'd like to put on the podcast in the future. So um, if you're listening, y'all, we're going to reach out to you. Absolutely. And we want to we wanna talk to you about something that's that's pertinent to your church and pertinent to you um, in ministry and, and uh, kind of maybe what you're dealing with uh, in school and stuff like that. But anyway, Scripture Matters was good. We're looking forward to another one maybe later this year. We'll see how that pans out. But right now, we are going to talk about a really important topic. Every import, uh, topic we talk about is important, but yeah, yeah. 99% of the to- yeah. <laughs> topics. Some, some more important than others, but yeah. Yeah, this is a really important topic. Um, the new birth, the idea of the new birth, mm-hmm. uh, being born again. So, uh, Josh, you want to kind of lead us into this? I will, yeah. So, 
so typically when we talk about being born again, I mean, so I say typically, let's just wade through the obvious, like the cultural baggage that comes along with the term born again. When mm-hmm. I, when I first heard the term born again, I'm just trying to think back. I probably heard it in the correct sense as a kid, but that's not what I remember. What I remember clearly is old country bumpkins. Old, well, no, specifically old, Uh-oh. like seventies and eighties movies, like the cross and the switchblade, those type of, oh, yeah. you remember that movie? Yes. Um, so like those early kind of raw Christian movies about conversions in the inner city and stuff. And they'd talk about, well, I'm a born again, Christian. Yeah. And not just like, any old Christian. I was like, I'm born Ooh. again. And so, you know, at first you hear that and I thought, well, this is spicy. This is like, this is a new level of Christian. Yeah. Um, But that's not what they meant. I mean, most of the people that were using the term born again Christian, um, it was a movement back in the 60s and 70s. And it was, it was one of those hot phrases, kind of like gospel centered or um, discipleship. Yeah. You know, kind of, it's one of those Christianese phrases, even though it's, it's, it's based and rooted in the Bible. It's a biblical phrase, but you're right that, that it kind of took off in Christian circles and people started to, but I mean, essentially what they're trying to say is like, I'm a real Christian. Yes. I mean, right, like that, that that's essentially, and essentially that's how the term even now I would think is used when people talk about, I'm a born again Christian. If you were to get right down to it and be like, hey, what do you mean by that? They're probably not going to say, well, I'm referring to uh, this dynamic we see in John chapter three that we're about to talk about. They'd probably just say, well, it means that I've been made new in Christ. Yeah. That like, I actually love God and I, I worship God and I've, I've been saved by Jesus, something to that nature. But they're talking about, I'm a real Christian as opposed to I'm a Christian, you know, so a lot of people would use this term, you know, say I'm a Christian, but, you know, I don't really follow God, nor do I read the Bible, nor do I go to church. You know, I'm not about those things. I'm just a Christian Mm because, you know, I grew up in a Christian family. So it's just kind of a way of differentiating yourself. Like, I'm serious about this. Sure. I I agree with you. You looked like you were going to say something. No, no, no. No, I agree. Still getting used to this mic placement. Everything sounds weird, but I'm working through it. Um, so yeah, so let's just go ahead and just jump into John chapter three. Then in John chapter three, um, this is where we get the phrase "born again" um, biblically. You now you could draw, you could go to several different places in Scripture. Obviously, Scripture builds on itself. The, the, these things don't arise out of nowhere. Um, here in John chapter three, Jesus scolds Nicodemus for not knowing about being born again. So clearly, there's an Old Testament um, concept that's behind this. But the, the, I, I think this is just kind of the clearest teaching yeah. of being born again in the New Testament. Um, and there in John chapter 3, you read about a, a, a religious leader, a teacher of the Jews named Nicodemus. Um, he comes to Jesus at night, quite famously, and Jesus tells him, uh, you must be born again. And Jesus says, you must be born again. You could also translate that as born from above. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you must be born again. He says, without being born again, you can neither do two things. You can neither see the kingdom of God, nor can you enter the kingdom of God. And he, yeah. he says this two different times. Um, Nicodemus famously, and I'm just kind of summarizing the, the passage. It's, it's in verses 1 through 15 uh, of chapter 3. But Nicodemus famously you know, asks Jesus, you know, quite simply, like, must I re-enter my mother's womb and be born. He's thinking physical birth. He's right. really confused here. And Jesus essentially scolds Nicodemus and says, "You should. how are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? You should know what I'm talking to you about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he talks about, uh, you know, earthly things and heavenly things and the Son of Man uh, being lifted up and giving eternal life through this new birth. So that's kind of the snapshot picture of, of what it means to be born again. Um but one of the things that I think is so interesting in this passage is, and it's it's something that we kind of, as Christians, we become really familiar with the language that the Bible uses, but 
when I'm preaching, I'm very mindful of every preacher tries to use illustrations. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to preach, you know, about, you know, pick your passage, whatever it is. And well, I need to bring this to today and I need to bring this into the minds and hearts of my people. So I'm going to use an illustration. So let me tell you about when I was walking my dog the other day, right, you know, and then right. you'll tell a story. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to bridge that gap between a spiritual reality and people's lives. How can I illustrate this in a way that brings it to life? The Bible uses the best illustrations. If you're ever looking for an illustration to use and the Bible gives you one, just use that. Like the parable of the the, the soils. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about the, the soils. That, that's be- what the parables are. Is it's and, and a lot of times, you know, we can make excuses and say, well, we're separated from that culture. But if Jesus used an illustration, then that is the perfect illustration. Like mm-hmm. you're about to talk about the parable of the sowers or the and the seeds. You uh, know? I'm not going to talk about it. I was just bringing it up. Oh, yeah, you, you okay. Go right ahead. Well, yeah. obviously, like I am not. I don't. I. We, you know, we live in like Mississippi. It's not, but it's still not as rural necessarily, and as an agrarian or as an agrarian as a society as as you know, the the first century Middle East was. Um, but it's still the perfect illustration. Or the man who he discovered a treasure in a field, and he you know ran home and he sold everything he owned so he could buy that field because yeah. he discovered that treasure. Every illustration in the Bible is the best illustration. Yeah. And um, you know this is not the point of, and I think we've already talked about this before. This is not the point of the podcast. But you can do a disservice to God's word by trying to um, cram in an illustration. Like you know you can talk about the Trinity. Like oh, it's like water where it's. You know, it exists in three different forms, gas, liquid. You know, you can do a great disservice to the Word if you try to cram in illustrations. So just rely on the text. You know what the Bible does not have an illustration on? The Trinity. Yeah, the Trinity. The tri- yeah, you don't get an illustration on that because it's something removed from our experience. Right, right. Um, God's a little bit bigger than than the things we run into in this world. Right. Um, he's not comparable to those things. But anyway, that topic for a different day. We'll talk about the Trinity in another podcast <laughs> episode. But, but here in John chapter 3... Jesus uses the example of birth. Mm-hmm. Um, birth is something that everybody can relate to. Women more so than men, you could probably argue. Well, we've all been borned. We've so, all been borned. Yeah. Done. Wow. Um, yeah, so we've all been borned. <laughs> You're going to say it the whole time It's now. stuck in my head now. <laughs> That's the, but every every father... That has had a child. I mean, obviously, if you if you're a father, you've had a child. Every, every every father that has a child that they've seen be born, or every mother who's enjoyed that just wondrous experience, you know a couple of things about being born. Uh, when you're born, there's no doubt that you have been born. Mm-hmm. When that newborn is you know lifted up in the in the emergency room, or emergency room, the uh, uh, what do they call the birthing rooms? There you go. Birthing rooms? Yeah, sure. It sounds so old school. Anyway. Anyway, when they lift the baby up there in the hospital room and, and the baby's crying and, you know, they're, the it's mother's relieved. Yeah, it's an event. Yeah. Like, nobody's looking around like, hey, did it happen yet? Yeah. Have they been born? Like, it's quite obvious it's that they've been born. a change of uh, state. You a know. complete change of yeah. state. Yeah, this is a new, this is a new thing. Um, there's, also, there's also, for the one being born, it's quite shocking. <laughs> you yeah. right they've been brought out of Traumatic a previous even. a previous state they were in the womb um still fully a child but in the womb at that point now they've been brought into this new world there's brighter lights there's there's things overwhelming their senses um the timing of birth very much removed from the person being born mm-hmm. um, the person being born all they know is that they have been born they need to be told now how it was that they came to be born and most parents don't you know don't educate their children on that in that in in the very Some hospital room videos. that they're born. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's rough. 
But you yeah. know, I mean, but you know, later it's a really, it's a really, and we were talking about Jesus being, you know, the perfect illustrator. It's a really full um, and rich illustration of the new birth. You know, this this idea. If you look at, uh, you know, kind of the idea of physical birth, wh- all the things that kind of happen. It's really, um, you know, a, a perfect illustration of the new birth in Christ. You know, the right. kind of being raised to life um, in uh, uh, as as a new Christian. Right. The, the, the thing that's so pertinent for us when we talk about uh, Nicodemus, without just walking through this passage um, and, you know, just exegetically going through the entire passage, you have Nicodemus who comes to Jesus and he poses a question about Jesus being a teacher come from God. Okay, so we'll just go ahead and recognize that. We, we won't dissect that, but we'll, we'll go to what Jesus responds with, which Jesus, his first response is just shockingly, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mm. So in verse 3, Jesus says, and, and you see the kingdom of God pop up all throughout the Gospels, but especially here in John, yeah. um, it's where God is at work in this world. Um, Jesus is establishing the kingdom of God. Uh, the Holy Spirit indwelling believers and the church growing, like this is the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And he says, you can't even see, essentially, God at work in this world unless you are born again. Yeah. So he uses that that drastic phrase. Nicodemus, of course, comes back and he's like, how can I be born when I'm old? I don't understand. Do I have to crawl back in my mother's womb? Right. What are you talking about? Just, which I don't think, you know, we could talk about that another another day. I don't think he's being sarcastic. I think Nicodemus is kind of overwhelmed at this point. Yeah. Um, like, what am I to make of this? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, or amen, amen in the Greek, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I have to be baptized. Why are you going to go and derail it right, <laughs> off, right off? No, of course, he's he's saying what he says in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he talks about the wind blowing where it will. So it is with everybody that's born of the Spirit. So Jesus clearly teaches here, you must be born again. And then he defines it, born of the Spirit of God, which is not contained, which is not manipulated. It blows where it will. Or, you know, he's speaking about the wind. He does what he he wants. He does what he wants. Yeah, Yeah, the Holy Spirit of God does as he will. And all we can see is the effects of that. Um his his example with the Holy Spirit specifically really speaks to the to the illustration of birth. So with with you being born again, made a new creation, he uses the illustration of being born from your mother's womb. Mm-hmm. And then here to explain the work of the Holy Spirit, he uses the very you know this this exa- this illustration is used throughout the scriptures. Uh, the Holy Spirit's work is compared to the wind mm-hmm. um, or to water. Water rushing, wind blowing, in all those in all those illustrations about the work of the spirit, the whole impetus is is that you don't control it. All you do is see the effects thereof. Yeah. Now, so what's Jesus' point here with Nicodemus? What he's talking about is that Nicodemus needs something to act from outside of himself. Um, no one would would say to the baby that's just been born in the hospital room, "Why did you decide to be born this Thursday?" Right. Um, how was it that you decided to come to these parents? You know, what, what made you choose this family mm-hmm. in this hospital? Well, of course not. The baby has been born. All, all that he knows is that I've, I was dead and now I've been made alive. I mean, not with the baby. The baby, you know, I was in the womb well, and now like I've been brought someone, into life. But if someone sat you, if you're listening to this podcast and you can clearly comprehend our words, then if someone sat you down and asked you that question, like, 
what made you want to be born? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's almost like it's nonsense. It's nonsense right. because it's and you know, like the the common refrain from angsty teenagers is, "I wish I've never been born because you're mean and took away my cell phone <laughs> or whatever." You, you know, don't not, you steal my? I'm the old man of this podcast, Sean. Don't you <laughs> well, steal that even, from me? Not even an angsty teenager says, you know, like I wish I'd never chosen to be born because that was a bad choice and. I don't like it, or whatever it is that an angsty teenager. I'm so glad I don't have. This is a teenagers. good illustration. Keep going. Yeah. Oh, we just talked about why <laughs> why illustrations are terrible. This is a terrible illustration. But you see, it just is nonsense. Yeah. No one would say that they had chosen to be born. Right. They understand that it was something that was done, not done to them, but it was some maybe done for them. Done for them. Yeah. yeah. Life I, is a gift. So I have frequently, when I was born, my mom had a really rough time, and and. uh you know, almost lost her life when I was born. So every time we have a birthday, we always, you know, talk about that. My dad jokes about how I almost killed my mom when I was born, which <laughs> is not jokes about he that. jokes. It's not as funny to me because he's, he's actually, you know, that's true. But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, like we talk about though, and, and I'm always grateful of like, man, I'm so glad my parents went through that when I was born. Yeah. I wasn't the one there in the, the, the room, all the, all, I was the beneficiary. Yeah. I, I just benefited from having been born and I'm thankful for them. Um, kind of the same picture Jesus is using here with Nicodemus. He's saying that for you to see and then enter the kingdom of God, you ought be born again. You need a birth to occur to you. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't tell Nicodemus to go and perform mighty works. He doesn't tell Nicodemus to go study harder. He says, you must be born again. Then Jesus launches straight into the work of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Now, why would he connect those two things? Well, because the Spirit's the one who, who births, who, yeah. who causes it. Yeah, the Spirit's the one who does it. And and like we mentioned earlier, Jesus Jesus makes very clear here that the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Like, we see people, and, and just think of your own life as a Christian. You have seen this happen. You have seen somebody who they will never talk about God or or want to hear the things of God. They will never darken the doors of a church. They would never they would laugh at me if I asked them to come to my Bible study. And then all of a sudden that person shows up in church. Yeah. Or shows up at your home and wants to know more about Christ. I it, hate to I hate to It doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it's sweet. Yeah. I hate to say this again because I said it a couple of weeks ago. But um and I do not know Kanye West. None of us know Kanye West. But from what I've we've heard from like his personal testimony and from the things that the pastor of the church that he darkened the door of mm-hmm. and came and counseled with, it seems very legitimate. And yeah. the things that he's talked about, like how he's like talked about discipling his children and reading the Bible with his wife and stuff like that, seems very legitimate. Now, what was the first thing? You know, we, we talk about the Spirit does what he wants, and he's you know he saves who he wishes, and he you know he gives life and new birth to those whom he wants. But the first thing that us Christians do is like, ooh, him. What's well, okay? So this is twenty twenty. If you'd told me in twenty eighteen, you know, just twenty eighteen, yeah. that like, hey, Kanye West and Justin Bieber, because mm-hmm. Justin Bieber yeah, has been saying too. some He's things, professing Christ um, now. And and this is the thing; it's not up for us to to judge their spiritual state. But at the same time, if you told me two years ago, like, hey, those two guys are going to be at least trying to articulate the gospel and proclaiming that to the world, like I would have been like, no, nah, you're crazy. Yeah. Like they're not going to come to Christ. Yeah. Um, how but, the Spirit but, does what He wants. Yeah, all we see now is like, like you just said, like, oh, wow, something seems to have happened in Kanye's yeah. life. I don't understand it any more than I understand the wind, but I see that something has occurred. Yeah, um, and that's a common, it's a common theme, and I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm teaching on currently um, in Sunday school and through Romans, but it's a common theme in Scripture that I think that we, 
I don't know if we ignore it or avoid it. And I, th- I think when we find this theme, maybe sometimes we have a tendency to harp on it a little too much. But uh, e- even when I'm teaching through through Romans, it's really God does what He wants. He does what He He does what He does for His glory. Um, now the, the the symptoms of that, or the uh, what, what would you say, the effects of the things that God does for His glory benefit us, and they, they benefit mankind, they benefit Christians, but He does them for His glory. Yeah. Um, but He does what He wants for His glory. Job, it's it's a it's the, uh, the theme in Job. God does what He wants. What does Job say at the very end of it all? You know, he he pretty much he he tries to call God to account. You know, why have you done this? What 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 did I do to deserve this? And what does God say? He doesn't explain himself. He he has a very good explanation, but he doesn't explain himself. He just says, I'm God. I do what I want. And right. Job says, Yeah, you're right. I'm so sorry. I didn't I'm so sorry. You are God. You have done all these wondrous, amazing things. In Romans nine, God does what he wants for his purposes. And right here in John three, the Holy Spirit is like a wind. He blows where he wants. He does what he wants. No one can control the Lord. Yeah, and and, and control and also the, the glory thing. A wise man, and I can't remember who it was now, but it said, uh, don't touch God's glory. I think it was Dr. Aiken that I heard say that. But in any case, yeah, don't touch God's glory. Don't it, claim things for yourself that God has yeah, done. goodness gracious. If God's done something, the first and last thing out of our mouth should be praise God. And that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here is you need God to intervene to make you a new creature. Um, we see the effects of it later. If, if you keep reading down in the passage, um, Jesus says that you're going to understand these spiritual things after this new birth. Um, and then in verse 15, he even says, if you believe in him, uh, you will have eternal life. This new life you are entering into, this new birth you're enjoying, this, is, this isn't just something temporary. This isn't like a better life now. This is eternal life. That that's a reversal of the fall from Genesis. Mm. You know the gen, the whole the whole curse of Genesis two, where you will God said die. you shall surely die. Genesis three happens. They're cast out. This is Jesus saying you will never die. Yeah, um, it's pretty incredible. But it, it's incredible. But just think about just for a second, snatching one shred of that from God's glory, because mm. all of that should be. God did this thing, and he gets all the glory from it. We should be so overwhelmingly thankful and praise him. Like This is what should motivate our worship for him. At the same time, just imagine Nicodemus saying, yeah, but, you know, I sure helped. Yeah, we talked about this, this idea um, a, a while ago, and, you know, I know we talk about it a lot, and we teach about it a lot, but this, the idea of Pelagianism, which anytime you hear an ism or something like that, you know, nine times out of ten, it's heresy. Um, maybe not nine times. Maybe half of the time, it's heresy if it has an ism at the end of it. Or there's been some church council to talk about this. It's at least in church history books. But we, we've talked we about. We should do a whole podcast episode on just heresies. There's some fun, fun named ones out there. Yeah, they're all named after you know ancient peoples because, uh, and this is like there's never there's never going to be a Joel Osteenism because what Joel Osteen is teaching and what Joel Osteen is doing is not, already not new. Yeah. it's not new so yeah all these things have already been talked about so anyway you're going to hear a lot of like old people names when you talk about heresies and, and certain beliefs and stuff but um, Pelagianism a man named Pelagius um, I guess he posited or he 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 taught that uh, in order that you can achieve salvation, essentially you can achieve salvation on your own, by your own merits, by your own works, which is a complete 
departure from Scripture. Because we know that Scripture teaches not only can you not achieve uh, salvation on your own by your own merits, you know, by your own good works, but that it has nothing to do with you. It's God's good work that saves. And, you know, John 3 here. But So we talked about this idea of, of kind of, um, that's Pelagianism, that I can do it on my own. But then there's this this trap, and I, I, I'd say it's a trap, because it's it's all it feels logical, it feels reasonable to the modern man of semi-Pelagianism, where you say, well, I, I do, God has to, so you, you use the term intervene. So yes, God has to intervene. God has to kind of extend his hand and and offer us salvation. But I have to, and that and that's the that's the semi-Pelagianism, the the understanding for salvation that I have to meet God in the middle, yeah. so to speak. I, he reaches out his hand. You know, I, every time I, I think about this, I think about the Sistine Chapel. So there's, you know, and I know this is not what it's about, but I think about the picture of the old man God, you know, reaching out his finger and then uh, Adam on the other side. You know, that's what I think of when I think of semi-Pelagianism, that, that man has to kind of reach out to God. Would you say that John 3, um, and I mean, we never want to take Scripture in isolation, but we're talking about the new birth. We're talking about what the Spirit does and, and what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and he's, he's kind of scolding him for not, you know, pr- pr- he says, aren't you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Would you say that um, John 3 and really Scripture as a whole refutes that idea that we must kind of meet God in the middle? Yeah, I mean, the whole the whole thing with John 3 is there's a clear actor in John 3. There's someone who does these things, and then there's someone who is acted upon. Mm-hmm. And I use the word beneficiary of, but all I mean is like there's somebody who gets all the blessings and joy and fruit of that, but they're not the ones doing the act. Yeah. And Jesus goes so far as to compare the work of the Spirit in giving the new birth to men and women. He says it's like the wind. So... It's it's as it's as foolish as us trying to go out and grab a hold of the wind, as to try to manipulate this work of the spirit. Um, and it's all I, I mean it's also just dangerous. Like that's not that's not our place. That's that's the spirit's place. Give him credit for what he does in our lives. You know, be thankful for those things. Give him glory for those things. This is this is something. This isn't supposed to, you know. This is something you're supposed to give glory to God for. It's the bottom line. When Paul used the language that Scripture uses, when Paul talks about this in Colossians 2.13, just listen to the language of Scripture. Paul said this to the Christians in Colossae. He said, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. When Paul talks about these things, who's the subject in that sentence? God did this yeah. thing. So, like, Paul gets it. The Bible gets it. And then when the, when the Bible talks about these things, it's it's clear that we need I like the something expression, external. That's right. I like the expression you use, beneficiaries, because um, a beneficiary of something is someone who receives something. I mean, that that's their sole purpose in the transaction is the, their, their recipients. Right. Um. And Scripture makes it clear, and you, you quoted Colossians 2, there's also Ephesians 2, you know, mm-hmm. God made a, it says the exact, exact same thing. You know, Paul is is very clear, he agrees with Jesus. Same guy wrote both passages, yes. that doesn't count. Well, <laughs> it's the same Bible, but um, he wrote, uh, I mean, he, he's clear because he's agreeing with the Lord Jesus, and he's saying that it's God who made you alive. Yeah. God does this. So does that mean, when we talk about the new birth, and I've been thinking about this, this this podcast. I don't know if this is opening a can of worms, but Jesus, it it seems like he's scolding Nicodemus. And I, I said that before. It seems like he's scolding him. You don't know these things, and yet 
he says the spirit he, he talks about new birth which is not up to Nicodemus necessarily and he says uh, the spirit does what he wants but it's but it, he's saying you don't know these things and yet you presume to teach my people is essentially what he's saying when he says a teacher of Israel how does that is there any responsibility laid at Nicodemus's feet I've often I've often wondered I've often wondered what Nicodemus was teaching if if he wasn't teaching this if he wasn't teaching that God is the primary actor, like what was he teaching? We don't, we don't ever get a whole lot of insight into what Nicodemus was Well, he was, was a Pharisee, teaching. right? He was a Pharisee, but I mean... And we know that the Pharisees, they added to the law in order to prevent themselves from breaking it. Yeah, I mean, the, the Pharisees were big on... We're big on the cultural, the cultural, they've been called boundary markers of the faith. Like they were, they were big on, on keeping themselves separate in those things. But I mean, even then there were some Pharisees that I'm sure were, were very close to orthodoxy in the, their day and time. It's just, as far as like what Nicodemus was teaching, I'm not sure. But what Jesus is correcting here is you cannot see the kingdom, nor can you enter the kingdom uh, without being born from above or mm-hmm. born again. Either one works. They're both used a couple times in John, same phrase. So Jesus' correction in Nicodemus is you ought be looking above. Mm-hmm. The implication to R- me seems to be... To yeah, the implication to me seems like he's either looking to himself or looking to others. He's not looking upward. Mm-hmm. So when you think about this as Christians, um, what do we what do we say to people? Or what do we? how do we think of born again as a Christian. If you say, I'm a born again Christian, just to kind of try to circle back to our original thing, we were talking about the 60s and the 70s and how people started using this term as like, I'm a legitimate Christian or I'm a, I'm a serious Christian, whatever you want to. If I say I'm a born again Christian, what I'm communicating to you is I have been born from above. So every word out of my mouth about why I'm a born again Christian should give all the glory to God. God intervened in my life. God has done a wondrous work. God has changed my heart's affections. God has changed a dead man to a live man. All of those things. What upsets me um, and grieves me is that so many Christians who, if they don't describe themselves as born-again Christians, because that term that term's kind of dated, uh, but they'll call themselves Christians or evangelicals or whatever, and they will they will know this passage and believe this passage, but the things that come out of their mouth have almost nothing to do with God and very much to do with themselves. So they'll talk about... You know, I had somebody come into my life and that person told me about this and that person shared with me and walked with me. And then, you know, I want I wanted to turn away from this this wicked stuff. And I just really committed myself. That's fine. But it's not fine when you think about what happened in your life, because, again, what's Jesus pointing him to? Look above. Mm-hmm. If you turned and you saw, and let's use the language from the passage, if you saw the kingdom of God and entered the kingdom of God, you've been born again. Give glory to God. It's not It's yeah. not your achievement. Yeah, and we are <clears throat> uh, temporal. You know, we're, we're, we're uh, cre- us humans. We exist in time. We exist where we, everything we interact with is, is tangible. You know, it's a physical Uh all of us. It really is a matter of language, the way that we communicate maybe our, you know, our testimony, our salvation story, whatever you want to call it. But it's a really a, a, the way that we communicate it. And that what we believe is, is you know, what we're going to communicate. But all of us could say, because we exist in, in time, we exist in the physical thing. I could say that the reason why I'm a Christian is because um, 
I started going to church more because my parents forced me to go to church. So, uh, you know, and I started being forced to spend time around Christians and, uh, I really liked what they were putting out there. They were all really nice to me when everyone else was really mean to me. So I decided that I wanted to be a Christian then, you know, there's a mil- I could, I could say that, and that's not necessarily wrong because those are the things that happened kind of surrounding the Lord saving me. Or I could say the Lord saved me. The it, again, just use the language of Scripture. Look at Paul's yeah, yeah. life. So Paul will sit there, and he'll talk about his—, his uh, Look at his letters to Timothy, and he's talking about, look at these godly women that poured into your life, and hey, fathers, don't forget your sons, and mothers, don't forget to teach your daughters, and all these things in Titus 2 that we've been talking about recently— Paul recognizes there are means through which God communicates the gospel to people all over the place. This is why we're commanded to yeah. share and to but be in life. But it's not lies. that person who shared then, the gospel yeah, exactly. with you but that then you saved look, you. Exactly. Then you look back at Paul, and that same Paul that tells you to do those things is like, hey, you've been saved. You've been born from above. You've been bought by Christ. You've been elected of God. Like, God has done something. Yeah. He's got no problem with saying that. Um, but this affects it affects everything you do as a Christian. If you as a Christian have lost family members or lost friends, how do you pray for them? Yeah. What right. do you what do you aim to do with them? Because this is the way we and Christians can say all day long that they don't believe that 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 they believe that God saves and that we don't. We we say those things, but then the things we do don't communicate that because mm-hmm. we'll say things like, if I can just get them in the doors of the church or uh Pastor, they, or, Pastor pray and this is not some any, no one has said this, but I've heard no one has said this to me, but I've heard this. Um, you know, pray for my granddaughter. She just needs to come to church with me. Right. You know, pray for my husband. He just needs to come to church with me. Right. Um, or yeah. or bearing feeling the guilt and the blame of, man, if I, if I could just somehow get into their life more, if I could just get them to come around and, and hear, and how do I do these things? Nothing's wrong with any of those things. Like, we should want our grandchildren to come to church yeah. or whatever like that. But ultimately, like, you know, you have kids, I have kids. We talk about this on the show all the time. Um, my hope and my prayer for my kids has nothing to do with me because I know they can be in church sitting in the pew, dressing the nicest in the church, having their tie tied and all that sort of stuff, not saying a word mouthing off, and they can be lost. Yeah. That's the whole point. Who cares if they look good on the outside? What I want them to do is to be born again so that they can see the kingdom of God and enter the kingdom of God. And like we read here in verse 15, have eternal life. That's mm-hmm. the point. And that is a work of God. And yeah. it's something that they can praise God for for eternity because it wasn't from them and it wasn't from me. Yeah, it affects your... All of the... Okay, good doctrine establishes good living, right? Everything that we're talking... We should talk, use that. We're using Ooh, it right we now. We should I'm using use that right as a catchphrase. What? Oh, okay. You're being silly. Okay. Um, But look, look, it really, we talk about this all the time, and I don't think we've ever, like, I've ever brought that back around necessarily. But this is doctrine that God does the saving, not man. Okay? So how you approach scriptures like uh, John 3, um, how you approach scriptures like Romans 9 and really the entirety of Job and um, passages that you get to where God essentially just says, I'm God. I do what I want. Um, what you believe about that um, affects what you believe. I mean, it, it affects your whole Christian life. It affects how you talk to non-believers and, and believers alike. It, it affects how you share your testimony. Um, but but the, the core doctrine uh, of the faith that it is God who saves, um, and it's not man's effort, which is, I mean, this is not, this, this isn't a, a, a unique or special thing. This is like 
Like that I said, it's doctrine. And that didn't come around in John 3. That's that's the whole... No, it, it's the whole wang-dang-doodle yeah. um, that God saves. I say wang-dang-doodle, y'all. That's my new catchphrase. <laughs> I'll, um, be, I'll be laughing through the end of the episode on that one. <laughs> uh, so, um, that, like I said, it affects everything, uh, that, that theological view. I mean, and, and, and to give just real practical example, so what do we do for the lost? We pray for them. Yeah. Um, we pray that God would... Uh, intervene in their hearts, that he would woo them, that he would draw them, that he would do all these things. We're, we're asking that God intervene, um, and we're also trusting that when somebody has been saved... Well, let me let me um, say this. Hopefully you pray that way, because that's the biblical way to pray. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah if you don't, that's that's what we're talking about stop here. Stop it. And, yeah, stop it. And, and then we're also... We're, uh, that's where our confidence in salvation comes from. Uh, again, to verse 15, you have eternal life. Um, life that is given to you that is eternal cannot be limited. It's mm-hmm. eternal. So why am I secure in my salvation? Not because I'm just really doing well. It's because God's given me eternal life. So praise God for that. But then the praise God for that, that's that's that would be the third thing I'd point out though. It affects your worship. Why why do that's I right. worship God? Because he has done everything for me. Mm-hmm. N- not most of it for me. He's done everything for me. Mm-hmm. That leads you to a deep, passionate worship of God. You and know, that's something I don't think it's coincidental that as churches become more man-focused, that their affection for God becomes less. I don't think it's a coincidence. Hmm. The more we try to manufacture man-made responses and and manufacture environments that men seem to be the primary actors and focus, um, our affection for God becomes something very... We still say the words, but the, the, the depth of that love for God is just yeah. not there. When Paul says... When he talks about um, him being the chief among sinners, he doesn't say it in, a, as a way of kind of qualifying himself. He doesn't say it as a way to say, you know, sometimes we can kind of compare sins. We always make the joke that... Uh, <laughs> boy, I was yeah, terrible back in my day, boy, I tell you. When, people, when Christians, at least around us that we've heard, and I've heard this a lot, when people talk about their salvation testimony, a lot of times they'll be like, man, I used to get... So drunk. I used to do all this bad stuff, and then you know I got I got got saved. The Lord saved me, and then you know whatever. And then they, you know it's like the most exciting part of their lives when they were in a motorcycle gang, you know, doing whatever it was they were doing. And now that they're a Christian, they're just like, yeah, now I'm now I'm good, yeah, because you know, my wife wanted me to go to church. Um, it, it, you, you talk about, and you didn't use the word motivation, but it's really interesting. The more that I've grown, I think, in affection for the Lord, and the more that I've started to kind of understand that it's Him who prompts the new birth. It's Him who births, birthed me. Um, you know, not not the other way around, really. Uh, the more, like, things like, I, we talk about doctrine affecting our lives. I used to be so... Um, I would tear myself up like all the time because I didn't read my Bible that morning. And I think we've talked about this before, yeah. but I, I kind of treated, and you you, you, t- you talked about praising God and our worship, it affects our worship. I would treat like going to church and I would treat reading my Bible and praying like I was doing it for God. And I think a lot of us think that way is that the when we read our Bible or when we don't read our Bible in the morning, we're like, oh, God, I really let you down. He wrote, that Bible is for you. Mm. It glorifies God, and it is for you, so you know how to worship God, so you know how to live a godly life. Um, you reading the Bible isn't for God, necessarily. You worshiping God, uh, you know, or you worshiping God 
correctly and with the right spirit comes from you understanding or having you know proper theology and a proper affection and view of God. Mm. Um, we can have reverence and awe and, and admiration for a God who, who chose us out of billions and billions and, and who saw a sinner like Paul and a sinner like Sean, um, and, he, and he plucked me from the, the miry clay and the, and the depths of shale. Um, we can have an affection for God. Can I rant for a minute? Well, I'm ranting. You okay, can't you interrupt can, my yeah, rant. Yeah, finish your rant, and then I'm going to rant. But when we understand... Again, and I'm just going to boil it down to God gives birth. God does the saving. When we really like understand that fundamental fact, our worship changes. We can actually have affection and admiration and praise. Yes. Yes. Now rant. Here's my rant. Um, when, you, when you look at like the early church fathers. Get louder. When you look at like the early church <laughs> fathers, um, when you look at great men of God throughout the ages that talk about God, they talk far more about God than they do about themselves. Mm. Um, the the contemporary Christian church looks at those guys, pick which, pick whichever one you want um, throughout the history of the Christian church, and they say, well, that's just very boring. Those men talk a lot about God. What does this mean for me? So what are the popular books in Christian bookshelves right now? Seven ways for you to be a better uh, employer, you know, eight, eight ways for you to be a more effective communicator. Like these are Christian books because yeah. why they have nothing to do with God, everything to do with us and everything to do with practical, uh, just easy fix type steps. Um, and we wonder why our version of Christianity that we practice in this country is just flaccid and has no depth to it. It is shallow because it doesn't have God. All this stuff flows from God. Like, why aren't we, why aren't we evangelizing more? Why aren't we sending out more missionaries? It doesn't, it's not because we don't know how to do those things. We, we, we know very well how to do those things. We don't know God as well as we ought. Mm. So when you read scripture, I think you're a hundred percent right. When you read scripture and even just looking at the practical history of the Christian church, when people know more about the God they serve, if they are saved, the love flows over in their heart and all these other things are the results thereof. Yeah. Theology yeah. precedes those things. The knowledge of God. A, a, a right knowledge of God. Oh yeah. 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 Not something of our own making or, you know, our own our own thoughts about God. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about theology or good doctrine, good theology preceding kind of good works or good actions, good worship. Um, I mean, that's kind of the theme in the Bible, right? It's that... Uh, that's the theme throughout the Bible, but yeah. this is the thing. If you come into church, and let's just be honest, and this isn't, I'm not thinking of our church. I'm thinking, I, I would think this would be the reaction in almost any church. If you came in and, the, you know, there was a small group, you know, up front, and they, they were gathered and say, hey, you know, Brother Sean, come over here. You know, I really think we need to... We need to do evangelism better or, you know, fill in the blank there. We need to do missions better. We need to do discipleship better. We need to do whatever it might be in the church. If your response was, you're right, let's go learn more about God together. Most people would see that and be like, ah, it's just a cop out. Like he's yeah. just trying to teach a Bible study or something. No, that's the actual need is if you know God and love him, those things will flow from it. Um, but I don't, I don't think most of us, most of us think there was like, you know, the seven steps to an easy fix is just the way we should go. Um, and, and and essentially, we're trying to drive the car with an empty tank of gas. There's nothing fueling it. Yeah. You mentioned, you know... We've got to stop ranting in a minute, but yeah, continue. Does this have anything to do with it? Yeah, it does. Well, we're talking about God doing the saving and the new birth and all that. But you mentioned that we 
have a tendency and at least are, and I always say the American church, but I'm not familiar with Idaho. I'm familiar with, you know, South Haven, DeSoto County, Mississippi, whatever. But I've seen in a lot of the churches I've been a part of, we say, man, why can't we be like those Christians in China who will meet under threat of death and persecution? Why can't we be like that that pastor from, uh, was it Early Rain? Early Rain Covenant Early Church Rain in Covenant China. Church in China, where he tells his, uh, he talks to his congregation about, now I'm going to jail now. Here's how you can withstand persecution while I'm in jail. Um, why can't Which we, if you've not watched that video, please do. It's on our uh, Good Doctor Facebook page. Yeah, it's amazing. But um, we, we look at churches like that, and then we're like, what can we do? We should have a conference about standing persecution. We should, do, And then you know we avoid, like, we should read the Bible more, and we should know more about God, what he expects of believers, and then we should obey. Yeah. Uh, it's so and let God do what He does. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing in this yeah. this passage is like again John chapter three. Like who's the actor here? Who's the one that blows the wind that gives the birth that does these things? Like trust God, love God, and let Him do this work. Like you can't. I'm not gonna look at C.S. Lewis or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or somebody that's you know a pillar in the faith and be like, man, I'm just gonna really work hard and uh, get the faith and the the you know, the Christian walk that, that I want to emulate in that person, they would be they would be the same as any Christian throughout history in telling you, like, I'm not the one that does this. This is this is the fruit of God. Like let God work in your life. Yeah. This is what he he does. So you know, let's kind of I guess taper this off and, and wrap this this up. What do you think what is the point of of all this? If we can kind of succinctly, you know, kind of um encapsulate you know this podcast maybe yeah what is the point of jesus talking about being born from above or born again what 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 do you what do you what do you want the ending statement to be about what, that what do i want it to be what do we want it to be? what does god want it to be how, how you know if we can oh more effectively communicate um than we probably have I, shud- I shudder to speak for God, but what the passage seems Lord to be saying Josh. though <laughs> what the what the passage seems to be saying in john 3 um, is you have a ruler of the Jews who's been teaching things, but quite clearly he has not been teaching what is needed. Um, what is, according to Jesus, the most basic. Uh, you call yourself a teacher and you haven't been teaching this. This is not high theology. This is, in Jesus' estimation, this is your base level knowledge. This is one of the beginning building blocks of your knowledge of your faith. And your building block of your faith is that one cannot see God working, nor can one enter into God's kingdom without God giving them new birth, Mm. being born again or born from above. Um, Jesus makes very clear that that birth comes from God, um, that God's work is mysterious, that the Spirit is like the wind and the water blowing where he will. We can see his effects, though. We can see where God has worked, and based on where God has worked, we can have completely safe and secure hope because it's eternal life that we're talking about here. Right. God's not just doing things that fade. God is doing something eternal and lasting. Yeah. So like, what's the whole point of this passage? Soli Deo Gloria, like glory to God alone. Yeah. God is doing this thing. So like you said, we've already talked about all the practical outworkings of this. Like this affects how you pray, how you witness, how you do these things. But at the end of the day, we're talking about when I say I'm a born again Christian, what I don't mean is I'm from a 1970s movie where I had a switchblade one time, then I put it down and picked up a Bible. That may that may be one of the things I did, but what I'm actually saying is that I've been made a new creation mm-hmm. by God. Mm-hmm. God has 
reborn me into a an eternal spiritual state. So praise God for that. That's that's the whole takeaway I think of John three. That's good, and I think that's that's probably where we should close. Um, glory to God alone. Remember, as you give your testimony and you you talk about the things. Um, you talk about your Christian life with your coworkers or with other Christians. Give God the glory. Um, you have and, done, and I've I've given the litmus test for this a couple of times, but I'll just repeat it one more time in case somebody missed it. When you give your testimony, just check who the subject is in that sentence. Yeah, just say it to yourself. Like, how would you describe your testimony? Like, if your testimony is "I did, I did, I did," I'm just saying that's not a biblical way to think about it because obviously we do things. But who's the actor in our salvation story? It's yeah. God. So uh, God has done. God has done. Last Wednesday, I, or the Wednesday, last Wednesday, I preached on uh, Genesis five, mm-hmm. which is a passage that ninety percent of people skip over because it's a genealogy. It's just it's the genealogy of Adam to Noah. But one of the points that I made is even in these genealogies, every single one throughout Scripture, the subject of these genealogies is not Methuselah. Cool, look how old he is. Uh, Enoch. Oh, what does it mean that he? walked with God and was not. The subject of these genealogies is God and God's preserving hand in the lives of these men who did not deserve God's preservation, but he gave it to them. Um, The subject of the whole Bible is God. The subject of your whole life is God. Everything you do as a Christian, I mean, all do all things to the glory of God. That means wash your windows for the glory of everything that you do should be to serve God, to bring him glory. So anyway, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. Remember that as you communicate these these Christian truths and this good doctrine, um, and you, you even communicate your testimony, as you talk to your children about the Lord, it's not about what they do or what you do, it's about what God does. Yeah. So... Um, I think that's good. That was, I think, I think it's an important episode. If if there was something that we missed, or uh, we maybe briefly touched on, and you want to see us talk about it more, Don't or you, you want to dare say Facebook, talk with us more. Um, you said Facebook. Uh, you can communicate with us on Facebook. You can send us an email. You can stop by. Uh, Tell doctrine. us more about email. Good doctrine podcast at gmail dot com. Good doctrine podcast. I like at the gmail sound of that. Com. Um, the reason why Josh prefers, I'll let you can correct me, but the reason why Josh prefers email is because it's more direct maybe and other people can't get involved well (laughs) i don't know why you like that better because it's kind of like email seems more suited to like i have a question and i'm going to wait for your response versus facebook that it's just like everybody jump in in real time and just you're trying to beat the last comment and it's just i am not stressed out by that because i'm a millennial and so i want you to comment on facebook um, if I've got any of my, my fellow boomers on here, <laughs> boomers, email me. We'll be taking it easy. <laughs> they'll they'll page your or yeah. Pay, <laughs> yeah, send me they'll a, beep you two way page me. Yes, I'll get it. But uh, but communicate with us through Good Doctrine Podcast at gmail You can go to our Facebook group. Um, go there anyway. We share helpful links and resources. We've been doing a lot less of that. I think that we should probably try to just schedule some helpful posts, you know, related to our podcast. Yeah. But. Um, but it's a good way for you to be connected with us and to communicate with us. Um, also, if you're in the DeSoto County, DeSoto County area, we have office hours at our church. So come talk to us. Um, if you would like to suggest, we uh, this week are going to interview. We didn't say this at the start of the show, but we are going to interview Dr. Michael Heiser in a couple of days. Yep. So that we will be Dr. Heiser this week. And yep. then three weeks from now, we'll have Dr. Glad. Yes. So you probably don't know who those people are, but you will be really excited to learn who they are. 
and um, really excited, hopefully, to, to read some of the material they've put out. Maybe um, Dr. Heiser is even, he has uh, uh, documentaries on Amazon. He does, and I'll cover I'll cover those next week Yeah, good. Um, in, in the episode. Yeah, we'll be sure to. If you want to follow up on any of those things, um, good. To refer you to. So, but if you would like to suggest that we interview someone, or maybe like you want us to talk to your pastor, um, let us know, and because uh, we're we're trying to do a little bit more of that, I think that'd be good and helpful for our community. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention? Any books? I have been, you know, I don't really have like a specific uh, book recommendation. I've been I've been reading lately. Um, IVP InterVarsity Press uh, Academic, they have a a commentary series. I know a lot of people are, a lot of our people anyway are are, are always asking for like commentary recommendations. Yeah. This is one that I don't th- I don't think this hits a lot of people's radar um, outside of academic circles, um, but they have a commentary series. It's these big black books. They're huge, and uh, they're all the ones in the series are are black covers, and they're background commentary series. So, for example, they've got one on Jesus and the Gospels. They have one on the New Testament background. It's the IVP background commentary series. They're fantastic. Oh, really? Good. Um, they're so good and so rich. And this might appeal to some people that might be intimidated by their their uh, their depth and their breadth is uh, the fact that they're they're individual articles. So, for example, if you're interested in like, hey, so you don't to, have to read seven thousand pages, right? You're not reading the whole thing. You can read. Um, very small but very detailed articles by a host of different scholars. There's a whole bunch of different contributors to these. Um, but especially if you're wanting to do, if you're wanting to dig in deeper into some of your your uh, Bible lessons or even just your personal study, it matters who you read. Yeah, um, and these are some good ones. As with any of these, and this includes, this in, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying this about Dr. Heiser or Dr. Glad, but like anybody we interview, anybody we have book recommendations from, you're not going to agree with every single thing. Um, that's not what we're saying about about these these recommendations. What we are saying is there's things here that are worthwhile for you to dig deeper into. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that's, that's important. We're not giving carte blanche just recommendation like we, we affirm everything that comes out of their mouth. But it's worth digging into more. Those books are a huge help. I would recommend them. Okay, good. So yeah. the what are the background commentary series from InterVarsity Press. Yes, yep. So there's multiple authors and stuff in these the series. Yeah, and they've got like, I think there's eight of them right now or something like that, six or eight of them. Okay, good. Yep. All right. Well, well we hope you'll join us next time. And uh, in the meantime, we do pray that your good doctrine will establish good living. Were you about to say something else? That was just really abrupt. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, <laughs> everybody.